0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.
1: Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 407 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness, developing research, publishing evidence, provoking action and running events around the country all the time in fact registration is open on eventbrite.com for our latest free event why the why matters our purpose and an authentic story impacts engagement and that's on friday the 17th of september you can visit us at engaged.org to learn more and never miss out on any of our events by signing up for our weekly newsletter i am andy gorham your host for today's show and founder of biz where i help companies connect purpose and proposition to their people, creating stickier, more successful businesses from the inside out. And today, I'm speaking with special guest, Pip Gwynn, who's a business psychologist and director at Insight HRC. Pip is an assessment specialist who uses scientific and evidence-based approaches to understand human behavior in the workplace. And today, we're going to explore why creating lasting change is so difficult and what the evidence from behavioral science tells us about how we can increase our chances of success hey Pip welcome to the show
0: thank you for having me
1: Oh, it's great I I love a bit of behavioral science so before I get to sort of geek out on that why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do
0: yes of course so I'm a business psychologist and I love the Association of Business Psychologists definition of what it is that we do, which is about making people happier and more productive at work. And I just love that concept that we can make people's working lives better for them. And by making their working lives better, we can also make them more productive and, um, and, and able to perform better in what they do. So at Insight, what we try to do is to understand and change behavior in organizations. We want to inspire people and particularly leaders to spark change. So our approach is about empowering people to make change themselves, not to do that change for them. We hope that by um, giving them new ideas, there's new ways of thinking that that will enable them to make the changes that will make their organizations happier more productive more engaged places to be we know that the better we understand ourselves and each other the more satisfaction we get from work Um, we can use our strengths we can find better solutions we can reduce conflict and all of that increases engagement in organizations so years ago too many to say I did my psychology degree And what I found at the end of it is that I felt dissatisfied with how well it explained my experience as a human. So we did a lot of uh, work on um, individual differences and, and these fixed traits. So you are this type of person and that predicts what you will do and how logical we were in decision making. So if you put this um, uh, information in, you will get this result out. And I just felt and knew that our experiences were messier than that, that, that people are uncomfortable and difficult and and unpleasant to each other sometimes but also capable of huge joy and love and um, and passion the psychology I learned at university didn't really seem to explain that enough and what is really exciting for me about behavioral science at the moment is that there seems to be a much stronger focus on emotions um, and and how our feelings influence what we do um, and how we make decisions and the evidence that it's coming out from neuroscience now about how our brains actually work and actually process information and actually respond to different things that happen to us is really interesting Um, and the the opportunities that provides for organizations and for leaders and for people that that work um, is huge so it's a really exciting time to be involved in this field I think
1: well, you've got me excited for this conversation <laughs> then, Pip. So, um, as I said, I love a bit of this. So, let's – let's. Well, I don't know, where do we start with this? Um, because we're talking about behavioural and cultural change here. So, I guess this is something people and businesses have been dealing with a hell of a lot recently, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So, you've noticed some changes in, in work recently and in, in yeah, the one world? Or
1: two, Pitt, one or two, Pip, one or two.
0: Yeah. And I think what's been really interesting for us is seeing how different changes have happened at different points in the pandemic. So when we first went into lockdown, what we saw was organizations and people responding really positively to the change I mean there yeah. were huge there were huge levels of anxiety people were really worried we had no idea how long it was going to go on for and how we needed to prepare and obviously high levels of, of personal anxiety about what was going to happen to us and our families but we also saw people doing things in organizations that were miraculous you know getting everybody in in in, in multiple thousand person organizations working from home in, the, in a matter of, of a week or a matter of 24 hours of um, people taking responsibility, people demonstrating real humanity to each other, um, leaders communicating really clearly even where they didn't know what was going to happen. They were honest about that, so so communication was more regular. It was more honest. It was more open. Um, people were taking on um, uh, uh, more autonomy, more responsibility. People would have been let to get on with their jobs and to do them in the best way that they could, um, and were and, and were flexible and supportive and, and empathic towards each other. Um, and and I think you know, even though it was an awful time, there were also lots of positives. And I remember talking to colleagues at, at that time saying, you know, at the end of this, what will we have learned about how organizations could be better um, and, and, and how we could build organizations to work better for people in the future? And I think what we've seen as time has passed, is is that that people um, that the employer employers are starting to to push back on em, employees and trying to put, take back some of the control that they let go of in those early days, um, and and we're seeing and in the news you know it's coming up now about you know organisations wanting people to come back and employees pushing back against that because they um, they've proved that they can do their jobs really well from home. Um, and and we're also seeing people asking for more, you know. So um, that greater focus on wellbeing, how is that going to last? We've seen, um, you know, greater focus on uh, inclusivity as a result of the um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and, and McKinsey brought out some research earlier in the year. That that demonstrates that while some people obviously are are struggling financially as a result of the pandemic, lots of people have have been able to save through this time and are making choices is about their careers based on um, what they want what their real passions are you know that they're not prepared to put up with nine to five hour-long commute either way to work in an office um, and and not have the the, the flexibility and an autonomy that, that they've had over the previous year so i think they're calling it in america the great resignation and and i think it just puts engagement much more into the spotlight of, of how we can support people um around change and about around the changes that are happening in organizations at the moment to to, to engage people and to um and to, to to make them more positive places to be i read an article in the garden over the weekend about uh, how people are pushing back on on organizations and where they're not offering flexible Uh, working options, of of, of just leaving and and looking for for other roles. So so I think it just puts how we work with uh, people in organisations much more into the spotlight, how we treat people as humans and how we make organisations more human.
1: I, I love all that. I mean, I think that for me, that was one of the bright spots, if you can if you can say that Mm over the pandemic that 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 humanity coming back into business but we are seeing it now the 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 great resignation the pushback a real tug of war going on um Mm -hmm. so how how do we get some of this original good stuff back it's Mm -hmm. not going to be easy changes changes always hard at the best of times but we've we've got we've got two opposing factors almost at the moment so actually Thinking about it from a scientific perspective, can science explain why then this lasting change, this committed change, is so hard for businesses to actually accomplish?
0: Yeah, I can have a stab. I'm a psychologist (laughs) so my uh, tendency (laughs) is to uh, sit on the fence and say well it depends and more research is needed. So uh, you know caveating that. Um, I think I mean the change that we're looking at here and that we're talking about today is, is around cultural and behavioral change so the mm. holy grail of change the change where people do things because they Want to do them in a different way where they where they understand the reason behind the change where where they're motivated to make that change rather than kind of procedural and policy changes where where you're just telling people what they need to do so we're, we're looking at that holy grail of, of change and where, where that is so difficult for us is because of some of the ways that our, our brains are designed to to work so our brains work on on shortcuts that enable us to deal with the huge mass of information that we have to process every day so all the different if you think about all the different things that you've seen today all the different bits of information that you've processed today if Brains didn't work on shortcuts. There's no way that we would be able to process and retain all of that information. So we form habits we um, uh, develop expectations about what's going to happen we form biases around how we think about things um, and stereotypes as well so so in order to process information we develop habits and we are used to the way that things work in a particular way so as a really trivial example during the pandemic at the beginning of march the council made my street a one-way street Six months later, I am still driving uh, towards my street from the wrong direction, realising I can't go down it and having to make a massive detour. I noticed for the first time last week that as I was approaching my house, my brain went, ah, you need to approach the house from a different direction. I'm so proud of myself that I, I recognize that. It's not unconscious yet. I'm hoping maybe by Christmas or maybe next spring, I just will automatically go the right way to get to my house. But it's just a reflection of of how used we are to doing things in a particular way. And that's one of the reasons why we find making those changes so hard, because mm-hmm. it takes brain effort um, to, to, to to change the way that we do it we need to be firstly conscious of the way we do it and then we need our brains to unwind the way that we've always done it and to build a new way of doing it and all of that takes conscious energy and when we've got so many different things going on all at the same time finding the energy to to, to break those habits and to find new ways of doing things can be really difficult and we need high levels of motivation in order to do that and so, it can be scary,
1: right? Oh. I guess it's like sitting in the cockpit and turning autopilot off for the first time
0: yeah right. is, exactly. it, is it gonna
1: work is it gonna, are, we gonna, are we gonna crash
0: yeah yeah so there's fear I've always done it that way and that way works for me if I do it a different way what will happen and what will that mean for me? You know, our, our brains are designed to keep us safe and to avoid risk. And sometimes taking that leap of faith, putting the autopilot on means that we take a risk that, you know, we might plunge 30,000 feet. We shouldn't do because it's been designed to make sure that we don't but there's always that element of fear and what happens if i'm doing my job and i do my job in a different way and people think less of me because of that you know the the the, the threats that i feel to myself and the fear that i um that i feel um uh, you know, it holds me back from making making that change. And I think particularly behavioural change. Um, and 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 you you will know as well when when you're running leadership development programs and and you're giving people new ways of of thinking about things, the hardest bit is getting them to make those changes back in the workplace where that risk is high you know people leave a program at the end of the day and they're super motivated and they're like they've learned all this new stuff and they feel so engaged with it and then the next day they go back into the workplace and they're like oh what about if I do that And it doesn't quite work Um, maybe I'll try that tomorrow um, so so it's it's that fear and, and the, the risk that, that, that we have, the fear of rejection um, that, that can um, really impact on on why that lasting change is so hard to accomplish.
1: I guess well I, I, there's, a, there's always the, the saying of you know be the change you seek in the world, which is lovely and, and idealistic. And if it was mm-hmm. just you, I guess it's almost easier because you're sure. going to be running into people, who are on a slightly different trajectory or have slightly different ideas and they, it's not, it's not easy, is it? You're, you're battling with a lot of different factors here. Um, mm-hmm. Even if the will is there, you, you've got to convince other people to, to get on the bus and, and come with you. And, and that's, I think you talk about mental energy and effort. I mean, that's, that's why surely changes is, is hard. Yes. You've got all that individual behavioral stuff and people's values and, different motivations and different ideas about what reward or recognition means and that's that's a big old cocktail to to suck down I think and make work right
0: yeah because when you're looking at cultural change and changing the culture of an organization it's it's a whole series of individual changes and all those people are individually driven by different things you know so so they will have different behavioral patterns so so what we call personality um, you know <laughs> so different different things that that interest them and motivate them different senses of identity of what what is important to them of what their values are um, what motivates them what you know what what's the best reward for them so you've got a load of individuals who are all coming at this from a from a different direction so, and, and then you bring in the social dynamics of how to work together as a group, and and how we um, how we feel about each other, those social expectations, the fear of rejection, um, how we build um, trust and psychological safety, so we can say what we really feel without um, without fear that that people will laugh at us or they'll think less of us, or or it, it, it will um, be a risk for us. Um, and and so so we've got so many complicated things all interacting together that all have an impact on on making those changes last. Um, and you will have some people for whom change is easy and they love it and they're like, right, what next? You know, whatever you want to change, I'm there. I'm right on board. And then you'll have lots of people who are like, oh, I'm not sure about this. You know, how mm-hmm. is this going to work out for me? Um, and uh, so at an organizational level, that cultural change um, is, is is really challenging.
1: I think you're right. I think there's two things for there in me. That, that shows the fact that and backs up the fact that you need that really clear direction for people to kind of rally around or at least see where it's going. And, mm-hmm. and then I think you need to set up um, ways to show that, things are possible, to build belief. I always believe that winning needs witnesses, right? And so when you're doing change, you want, you want people to see that it is possible, to see the benefits, to see um, what's happened, to be able to put themselves right in the middle of that story. So when you talk about all these things, it really makes sense. It really does make sense. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then if we think of science, right? Science is here to help us and make us all feel good and, and get better about stuff. So how can science bearing all this stuff in mind give us a, a much better shot at creating change that really works and sticks and does the job we want it to
0: mm-hmm. okay so i think i, I want to um jump back to right into your introduction and and the 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 um event that that you plugged right at the beginning around purpose <laughs> and i think <laughs> that is absolutely crucial and at the heart of any successful change and you've just alluded to it again there that That having a having a place that you're going to, um, something that you can connect with, a future that you believe in, is really crucial for that motivation around change. And then, at an individual level, um, I mean, there are loads of things that you can talk about here. And I just wanted to talk about one, which is around, which is the the scare model uh, developed by David Rock. And other people talk, um, have given it different names because scare doesn't, you know, in terms of uh, thinking about something positive, uh, doesn't
1: it's automatically engaging um... We're gonna, no, gonna exactly. scare No, exactly. Some people call
0: it the scarf model, which which is slightly okay. better, but but you know, acronyms <laughs> need working on. But the scare model works on what are the things that our brains, our social brains, most feel threatened by, and mm-hmm. by understanding what those things are, how can we reduce the threat that people feel? So within the scare model, this looks at um, so five different areas where where we feel particularly threatened, and they all link directly into change. So the first one is around status. So we want to feel that we are important. And that we have a place um, and so when changes happen that can often make people thre- uh, thre- feel threatened around around their status am I less important because of this? what does it mean for me and how people see me the second uh, uh, so the C is around certainty. We to know what's going to happen and that is really challenging when we look at change and I think particularly in the current environment where we just don't know what's going to happen so how can we when we have change interventions ensure that there is still some certainty and how can we create clarity even where we can't create certainty so how can we make it clear for people what the direction is that we're going on even if we can't be completely certain about every step of the of the way through the a is for autonomy so within change how can we give people some autonomy so they feel like they have some control over what is happening to them so it's not just happening them, but happening with them and that there are things that they are able to influence. The R is around relatedness. Um, and so when when changes such as restructuring or such as the changes that we're seeing at the moment around hybrid working and agile working how can we ensure that people still have the relationships that they need still feel related to each other and to the organization and um, one of the things that one of one of my clients has, has come up against most when they're looking at their agile working is people want to work with the people that they know and um, they want to sit next to the people that they sit next to and be able to to work with them so how do we ensure that relatedness happens and the e or the f in the scarf model is around um equity and fairness we want to feel that we're being treated fairly and that often comes up in change processes where where people where people combine it with the certainty other people know more than i do Um, and and so with within any change process i'd say be really clear about the purpose because we know that's really motivating for people, and then consider it um, the impact that it will have on people in terms of that scare model, um, and and how people will, will feel, and, and, and what you can do to support them through that.
1: I love that scare model. That's that's a really nice, neat way of of, of summarising all of those all of those feelings that we've got around around threat and health. Mm. So that, that's that's fascinating. Um, there's so much we could talk about. <laughs> um, within this topic, uh, I said I was a bit of a behavioural science geek, but I have to kind of hold back and and, mm-hmm. and take us through. So, if, I guess if you were sitting down with a client today, and when we think about what we've talked about, let's just, let's take a a place where they really didn't know where to start with all of this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Where
1: do you recommend people do start? And if you were to offer them, in addition, one real piece of advice to get them through, what would that be, Pip?
0: Okay, so. What I love about working with clients is that they are all so different and so there Mm. are no one-size-fits-all Approaches and solutions and unfortunately no silver bullet to make lasting change I mean if you look on Amazon there must be hundreds of thousands of books around change and so many different models and approaches that you can take what what we're really trying to do with all of our services is to focus more on the analysis that happens at the start so where people don't know where to start um in terms of implementing change or even what changes need to be made what what we suggest is and what we would do is is what is is to understand the organizational context do you know where you need to be, what your future needs to look like, and what is the context that you're working within at the moment? So, when we're doing leadership development programs and team building, how do you understand what the strategic goal is for that team? What do they need to achieve? What do you need leaders in your organization to be able to do? And what's the current context like? So, so what are the strengths and, and the personalities and the drivers of those individuals? What will prevent change from happening what will be the barriers to change um my summer reading been a new book by uh, Katie Milkman called how to change and one of the things that really struck me is um, that what she said is that organizations that understand the barriers to change are the ones that are most likely to succeed in change and and I think that is a really useful place to start where will this change go wrong what is our history of change like what um, what what has worked for us and what hasn't worked And then i suggest being a scientist take a scientific approach what is it that you're trying to do what's your hypothesis around what will happen if we implement this change we know that this group will respond in that way because that's the way they usually respond to that kind of change and we know that we'll have struggles over here and we know that this bit is going to be difficult but this bit is going to be easy so what's your hypothesis and then what actions can you take to influence the hypothesis to test it um, and and to make change, so so have a really clear definition of the problem that you 're trying to change um, and and then look at what the basis to that change will be, and there will your organization will have a different approach to that than than other organizations. I think start with engagement rather than communication. So lots of organizations we see start with right this is the change that we want to implement and we will communicate 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 what the change is going to be and where i see organizations being more successful is when they start with engagement how do people, this is the problem that we have and how do people in the organization think we can solve that? Um, you know, often people who are on the front line have amazing ideas. How can we engage them with that change process? The most successful change doesn't feel like change at all. You know, your organization will be changing all the time. Your team will be changing all the time. You will be changing all the time. But we have this concept that change, and I'm using my quote marks there, um, is difficult that we remember the ones that were really difficult. The ones that were really easy were the ones where someone said, what about if we do it like this? And everyone said, yeah, let's do it like that. And they were all (laughs) bought into it, and they understood why, and they just did it. And that's the change that that lasts, and that's the change that that we want to try and create rather than trying to push that rock uphill um, all the time to... um, where that change feels really difficult so clear definition of the problem understanding of the barriers to change engagement rather than communication is what i would say i
1: love that absolutely love that i mean for me that whole thing around involvement is so important that you show mm-hmm. that people are part of the solution not a problem to sort out and and i i wish i wish that engagement uh, not communication at the start was a mantra for everybody. So I think we'd be in a <laughs> much, much better place if that's the lead we all took uh, as we go forward. That's brilliant. Um, Pip, where Carlos has found out a little bit more about you, um, HRC and, and the things that you do.
0: Yeah, so our website is insight hyphen hrc.co.uk. And uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So, it's Pip Gwynn. It's an English spelling of a Welsh surname. So, it frustrates everybody. Uh, So, G-W-Y-N-N. Pip, like in an apple. Um, You'd be surprised how often I'm asked to spell that uh so yeah on twitter i'm just at pip Grin, uh, and and we are at insight underscore hrc so if anyone's got any questions or anyone would like to talk through any of this i know behavioral science and business psychology is really interesting to lots of people and i am always happy to talk about it and so yeah so please get in touch if, if there's anything you'd like to ask me
1: that's brilliant. Uh, I may well be one of those people, as I said. I <laughs> love to keep down and <laughs> stuff. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, look, thank, thanks, Pip. That's that's about all we have time for today, sadly. Um, don't forget to visit engagesuccess.org to check out the show notes and all our fab-free employee engagement resources. And, of course, you can also download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at your leisure. Thank, thanks very much, Pip. Um, thanks for sharing those uh, thoughts and insights. I personally found that really interesting and very thought-provoking and heartwarming at the same time. So thank you very much for that.
0: Thank you uh, for We'll be back me. again at
1: the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks very much for listening to Engage Success Radio.
0: Engage for Success Radio. Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice. For people who believe there's a better way to work.